15th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is our final show before summer break. We'll be back in August, but of course the ECU sports calendar slows down. It already has slowed down. We've continued to go with our football opponent previews over the last week plus and, and really just kind of getting you geared up for the season and excited about today's show because we'll wrap up those opponent previews with a look at Navy. We'll be joined by Pete Medhurst, who is the Navy play-by-play announcer. We'll try to ask him if he knows why Navy just seems to have ECU's number in football, and we'll talk about the new coaching change with the Navy midshipmen. We'll also be joined by Matthew Bartlett of the Roofs. He covers the Rice Owls. Of course, the conference opener for East Carolina will be at Rice and so we'll get a breakdown of what to expect heading into that matchup later this fall. All right, Philip Pilkington is in the 94-3 The Game studios. And, Philip, a little bittersweet, uh, our final show of, I guess, you know, can we even call it season one? We started May 1st, and we're taking a break in mid-June. So I feel like this is like almost like a pilot episode that we've gone on this journey. But it's been a fun one. You know, I've, already, I've said – all along, we're, we've kind of done this month and a half to get a test run of sorts, kind of figure out what works, what doesn't. But we've gotten a ton of great feedback. We've already had a ton of interviews and really enjoyed it. So uh, appreciate your time on the show and, and the help. But uh, it's a little bittersweet today. It is. And, you know, I really appreciate you uh, asking me to be your co-host. I've had a blast. Uh, you know, we were talking about before the show. It's like, man, I'm, I'm already looking forward to uh, August. It's a little bit sad. But uh, like you said, it's just like a pilot episode or a, a preview of what is to come. And what is to come is going to be nine straight months or ten straight months probably of nothing but ECU content. And it's a at a time when I think all four or all three, excuse me, major sports, well, four if you count women's basketball, are on the upswing. So it's going to be a great time next year and I'm, I'm already looking forward to it but yeah it is it, it does kind of sink but it will be nice to maybe go out and do a little sun tanning over the next month or so yeah and that's the thing too you know we started it's not like we're going to start back in august and break in mid-october we're going we're going to go from august through basically the baseball season each year is how this show is designed is designed so we went a little longer after the baseball season this year because we just started May 1st and I want to get some guests in, continue to build our following. So we will be taking, you know, June, some of June. And if ECU goes to Omaha one year, we'll, you know, we'll be in Omaha covering it, doing the show live from there. But uh, for, for right now, you know, we're taking the rest of June off in July because it's basically there's no ECU sports going on. And then in August, we'll be back to preview the upcoming season. We'll go through next June when the ECU baseball season ends. So, it's going to be a, a long show just because we're breaking quickly after our debut. You know, we, we ended up starting earlier. Originally, we had designs to start the show in August. We started May just to kind of get some uh, some ground floor work done. But it's been a blast. We, we've got, uh, like I said, a lot of interviews are already done. And I already got guys who are reaching out to me wanting to come on for the football season. And I just think this show, come football season, Philip, is going to be, is going to be awesome because – you know, we'll, we'll have game previews. We'll have a reaction show every Monday. And then, you know, to me, the, the build up each week to the next game is so much fun. It's what makes football so great because, you know, covering baseball is great because there's so many games in a week. But the, the build up in the post game for, for each football, the, the post reaction on that Sunday, Monday, and then kind of building up to the next game, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's, you know, that's the sports reporting you kind of live for. Uh, you, to, to do that week in and week out. And that's what makes the football season go by so quickly. 
It is, and I agree with you. I, I love the build-up to a game. It's going to almost feel like you're a player again. You know, you go through each day of the week with the practice schedule. We'll kind of have each day of the week being our lead-up schedule, and it'll, you know, Mondays will kind of all look the same. Tuesdays will have some similarities, and so on and so forth. And the other thing is, I think when the one thing I've I'm not going to say I haven't had fun the last two weeks, but we haven't had as much fan interaction on social media the last two weeks just because there haven't been games to talk about. We haven't been able to hear from you, our listeners, and that is what makes a good show sometimes is the content that we get from our loyal listeners, and when there's games going on, especially we get into that wacky part of the season where we've got two sports going, both in November and then again in February, that's when it's really going to amp up and really become fun. Yeah, and we are live on YouTube, Facebook. If you got a question for us before summer break, get it in now, and we'll answer it uh, if we can, which we, we should be able to. So get that question in now because we got a couple of guests coming up again, Pete Medhurst and Matthew Bartlett to preview Navy and Rice, respectively. So, Philip, we've been doing this American Athletic Conference preview. Speaking of downtime, you know, you, you came up with this idea – hey, what can we do to maybe look at the new look American? And we kind of tossed around some ideas how to do it. We ended up going with the philosophy of looking at a different incoming school each day of the show that uh, that we had you on. And this is our sixth preview of a new team entering the league, and it's the Florida Atlantic Owls, not to be confused with the Rice Owls. Uh, or the Temple Owls. Owls. in the league. Or the Temple Owls. that. <laughs> The American now home to three owls. Uh, all we are missing is Kennesaw State, <laughs> and uh, we can complete the uh, quartet. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, we, we've previewed each of these teams. We've kind of questioned each of these teams. We've talked about the upside of each of these programs. So we might as well do it for Florida Atlantic. And I'll tell you what, let's start with basketball because they just had a historic run in men's basketball, really out of nowhere. I want to say – and I don't have this pulled up, was it their only NCAA tournament appearance ever and they made the Final Four? No, so they had gone back in 2002. I guess they won the A-Sun that year because they were a 15 okay. seed, but they did lose in the first round back in 2002. So second appearance ever. Yeah, good job. I pulled it up. So yeah, 2002 they made it, and then second appearance ever to the Final Four. I mean, could you imagine, Philip? If East Carolina went on a similar run, like even just making the tournament would be insane. But I like I can't even put that into words or fathom what the excitement level would be like locally, regionally, if ECU even made the tournament, let alone all of a sudden they're going to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four. I mean, that had pr- pretty remarkable. And the most amazing thing for me is they, they were able to retain their coach and bring their players back. So they should be really good again this, this coming season. They should. And, you know, you brought up the fact that they were really good. You know, it it came out of nowhere from the aspect of it. They haven't been to tournaments recently, but the success late in the season didn't come out of nowhere. They were successful all year. This was a team that was 35 and four. And one of the common themes since we've been doing these conference previews is these teams are solid basketball teams, meaning the Conference USA was not a bad basketball conference. I mean, they were a nine seed, so they got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournaments. They had been winning all year However, no one saw them coming out of the first weekend, much less making it to the third and final weekend. But like you said, the 
success in the 2022-2023 season did come out of nowhere. Um, you know, no NCAA tournament appearances since 2002. And looking at most of these, it's a lot of losing seasons. And the few years that have been winning seasons, you see 17 and 15, 19 and 15, things like that. Yeah, Dusty May, their head coach, who was a Florida Gators assistant. So they were pretty pretty solid, you know, 17 and 16, 17 and 15, 13 10, 19 and 15, and then 35 and 4, as you mentioned, just a phenomenal year. So May has done a great job there. Kind of surprised he did not get poached, but uh, great job by great job by FAU keeping their coach in basketball, great job by UTSA keeping their coach in football. You know, that that to me is what the American needs, better retainment of coaches, players, et cetera, when you have that breakout year. You know, do you are you able to follow it up with another solid year? Look, I'm not expecting FAU to go 35 and four again. The Americans going to be a tough league, and they're going to have a target on their back. But you know, even if they're a solid NCAA tournament caliber team, that helps out the league as a whole because you're going to have Memphis. You know, you're going to have SMU probably take a step forward. You're going to have Wichita State, I think, take a step forward. So I think the basketball. We've talked about some of the other teams entering the league. I think the basketball in this league, Philip, has a chance to be really good. And I think ECU can be a part of that too, not to not to completely switch gears from FAU to ECU, but I'm just excited about AAC basketball. I know that you know Houston's out the door, UCF, Cincinnati, but I think this league can still be very good. Yeah, I mean, you remember three, four years ago, this was a three or four bid league, and I definitely think it can be back to that. And a lot of that has to do with the incoming teams, but I think a lot of it has to do too with kind of the history of the teams in the tar- in the conference. You mentioned a few of those just a moment ago, and hopefully it is on the upswing because it'd be great to watch. You know, growing up in North Carolina, love me some college basketball. It'd be great to see great college basketball inside Williams Arena at Menji's Coliseum. So Florida Atlantic University is located in Boca Raton. Of course, East Carolina played there last year on their campus as a result of the hurricane. They were supposed to play at South Florida. That game was shifted to Boca Raton. EC won that game going away against the Bulls. This year, they'll be back there again for an actual road game at FAU Stadium. Interestingly enough, FAU, uh, which was founded in 1961, their student enrollment, according to Wikipedia, is 30,000 with 23,000 undergrads. So another big school in a pretty big market. Uh, Boca Raton, of course, located outside of a major city, but still a, a, you know, a destination vacation. Again, I'm most, it's the destination I'm most excited about to travel as an uh, ECU beat writer. Uh, but their motto as a university is where tomorrow begins – and ECU's motto used to be, uh, tomorrow starts here. So we may have to have a battle of where you know, <laughs> where truly does tomorrow begin? Is it in Boca Raton or is it in Greenville, North Carolina? What do you think, Philip? Oh, it's definitely in Greenville, North Carolina, baby. This is a perfect <laughs> college town, which means we're breeding college kids to be great young men and women. Yeah, I'm going to... You know, I'm going to say that uh, tomorrow truly starts here, and tomorrow does not begin in Boca Raton, uh, Florida. But, hey, to each his own. Uh, All right, so let's talk FAU football. And pretty young program, just 114 and 141 all time in terms of wins and losses. They have had some randomly good years, though, Philip. They've won three conference titles already in 2007, 2017, and 2019, and they've only been to five bowl games, but they're 4-1 in those bowl games. And – which is interesting because it, it's almost like they're they're 
really good or pretty bad. And they, of course, had some big success at times under Lane Kiffin. They had the legendary coach Howard Schellenberger to begin their tenure at the FBS level. Uh, they went to a bowl game under Willie Taggart despite only having four or five wins. And now they hired Tom Herman. So they've had some big-name coaches, specifically Lane Kiffin, Willie Taggart, and Tom Herman. And I, I am intrigued by the Tom Herman hire, but this is kind of a weird football program to handicap. The good news is you have some potential there. That's shown in the past. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see how Tom Herman does there long term. It will be. But, you know, what kind of gives you optimism is, hey, they just retained their basketball coach after a Final Four trip. Maybe they can take some of what they're doing this offseason in basketball and retain that to football when they get back to that success because – that's been the issue. They get good. Their coach gets poached. They go down. So hopefully uh, they can uh, hold on to Herman there and, and maybe he can be there for a while and turn the program around and, uh, you know, make this conference what we all want it to be. And Tom Herman had big success in Houston. He was out the door quickly to Texas, up and down there. Maybe he wants to build a long-term winner with FAU football, and we'll see if he can do that starting this year in his first year on the job. All right, another solid program, FAU baseball. They have made double-digit NCAA tournaments since the 1990s, including most recently 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019. They've been solid the past few years in CompUSA, but not as consistent as they, they were in kind of the, the 2010s. But again, another good program joining the American in baseball the last few years they've gone 32 and 25 35 23 and 34 and 25 so a step down from their 40 win campaigns in 2018 and 19 but this is again a good program entering the league in baseball that I'm excited about to kind of add some quality depth to the league yeah, I think it definitely will. You know, you look at their all-time record here that they have a 624 winning percentage so that's very good and you know we've kind of brought it up or I should say I've been really bringing it up a lot where if a team is already on the cusp in baseball the fact that they're going from the CUSA and a one million dollar TV deal to a seven million dollar TV bit deal in the American Athletic Conference is just going to bring that much more money to all sports and yeah teams are going to put it in basketball and football first but when they know they can get a chance to get baseball back they're going to put a lot of money there too and uh, I think it can only help them come into the American and long term they will help the American. All right, he's Philip Pilkington. We got a comment on YouTube. Christian Bateman said, I, I made the comment earlier that Navy has ECU's number. Christian says, Navy has not had our number. We got them last year. New staff, I like our chances. The past doesn't matter. Christian, did you miss last year's game where Owen Daffer missed the field goal in overtime and Navy won? I love you, Christian. I appreciate your support, but come on, man. Navy definitely has ECU's number, and if you're trying to spin that another way, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm, I'm all about being positive, but uh, ECU has only won twice in the series, both games by the score of 38-35 in Annapolis. The good news is this year's game will be played in Annapolis, Philip, but I don't think there's any disputing the Navy has uh, has had the Pirates number. Yeah, I agree. I mean, heck, we're 2-8 we're, we're and eight against them. I mean, that's that's terrible. Yes, it, we, we've won the, you know, the great Owen Daffer win in 2021, but heck, in my time here, I've only seen us beat Navy once, and some of these losses have been pretty gruesome. So, yeah, I would say they've got our number for sure. All right, speaking of Navy, we will talk to the Navy, Navy play-by-play announcer, Pete Medhurst, on the other side as we continue on. 
with our football opponent previews. Philip should be back later in the show, uh, but we got our football opponent previews coming up here on the other side, starting with the Navy midshipmen. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll be right back. All right, let's go. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Drink up me, Aussie show ho. On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into this Friday, June 16th edition of Hoist the Colors. We're rolling along with our ECU football opponents preview, and East Carolina set to take on the Navy midshipmen. November 18th, a late-season matchup once again in Annapolis, Maryland. To preview that game, let's head out to the live line and talk with Pete Medhurst. He is the play-by-play voice for Navy. And Pete, we got to start with just how different it is this offseason preparing for a season of a Navy team not coached by Kenny Amatololo. How how different has it been from your vantage point as a play-by-play announcer getting ready for the season? Well, you know, I mean, it's funny. I mean, we look at it as this because we love Coach. We love Coach Amatololo. He's an unbelievable guy. He's If you want your kids to be around a man to get better as a man at that age, between 18 and 22, and a guy to learn football from a guy between the ages of 18 and 22, it's your guy. No doubt about it. So it's going to be weird. It's going to be strange at first. But because we promoted from within, in a sense, with you know Brian Newberry, our defensive coordinator, it's not as, it's not as big an upheaval as you might have imagined had Kenny and his entire staff left. If that was the case, you know, we'd be sitting here going, holy cow, you know, we haven't, we haven't known anything different since 2002 than, you know, this bunch connected through Paul Johnson uh, all the way back to when Coach Johnson took over. So I think in the end, you know, you're going to see a lot of the same things uh, because there are still a lot of the same coaches here. So it's not as big a transition as it normally is when you replace a head coach, and I think that's going to work out in Navy's favor uh, in a situation like that, just because there isn't as much upheaval as there normally is uh, in a coaching change situation. Of course, Brian Newberry getting the promotion, as you mentioned, and I know East Carolina's coaching staff is extremely fond of Coach Newberry. It kind of has a tie to Blake Carroll because they you know, crossed over a little bit at Kennesaw when, when Blake Carroll got that job and Newberry was leaving for Navy. I know they shared some things and have a good relationship. Was it a surprise at all that he was the one picked? And was there kind of a national search done before Navy opted to, to go with Coach Newberry to replace Niamatololo? I think there – would I qualify it as a search? Uh, I wouldn't qualify it as that. Uh, was there some discussion maybe about who, where, possible? But I truly believe in the heart of hearts it was going to be Brian – because he's such an, he's one of those guys that as a coordinator, that as an athletic director or, you know, general manager, if you want to use the pro football analogy, he's the proverbial guy. You never want to leave your building. You don't want that guy out of your building. And he had turned down some power five opportunities as a defensive coordinator. He loves this area. And, you know, he had come through here on a previous trip and, said to his wife about man this would be a great place to you know to be to live and things of that nature and then lo and behold he had an opportunity to join the staff so while I do believe there was you know consideration there were phone calls maybe about 
you know, who or who are people that we need to talk to type, you know, questions. But I believe in my heart of hearts it was going to be Brian unless Brian decided that he wanted to go somewhere else. We're visiting with Pete Medhurst, play-by-play voice of the Navy midshipman. And, Pete, when you look at Coach Newberry, is his plan to still call the defensive plays, or is he going to handle that duty or hand those duties to another uh, defensive coordinator? No, it's going to be P.J. Volker, um, who was obviously on the staff as a linebacker's coach and another guy that, you know, when you look at this group and, and that group that Brian brought in, on the defensive side, when he was brought in as the defensive coordinator, Coach Niamatololo gave him the autonomy to bring in people on the defensive side that he felt you know, he needed to be successful defensively. And that, that's a natural progression to Coach Volker. Uh, he's a, an exceptional football coach. You just look at the development of the young men that have played for him uh, at his position. This was a tremendous opportunity to promote him. Now, sure, I mean, you know, Brian's like every head coach, Brian's going to have his eyes, his ears, he's going to be in meeting rooms, he's going to be listening. If there's an opportunity to chime in, share stuff off film study, sure, he's going to, he's going to provide it. There's no doubt about that because, I mean, the, the responsibility of how the team performs is, is strictly on his shoulders. But he has an immense amount of respect and trust in, in Coach Volker now to call the defense. And uh, I don't think you're going to see, you know, any dramatic changes from us defensively. Uh, they have found a system that works. They've, the player development of our defensive staff has been exceptional since they've been here. And I, I would expect the defense to still be somewhat of a calling card for us. So let's face it, we got to find a way to prove, you know, just like we when a quarterback leaves or a running back, wide receiver, like how do we replace that production? We've got to find a person now to replace the production of John Marshall, who, you know, was created by Coach Newberry. You know, he when you look at his analytics, he looks like a six four, two hundred and fifty five pound defensive end, and then you realize he's built like a safety and wide receiver, which is what he played in high school, playing with Caleb Williams, who's now playing out at USC. You realize you look at his numbers and go, "My goodness, how in the world did he do that?" And it was because of the excellent coaching uh, that he was provided here, and development that he got, and the hard work that he put in as a player uh, to put up exceptional uh, pass rush production for us a year ago. Navy, I don't think it's any coincidence that in some regards they've seen a, a downturn with wins in this transfer portal and NIL era because, of course, Navy can't really utilize the transfer portal, but they can be hurt by it, which has happened at times, Pete. And how much of a challenge is that for Navy? I mean, it's a challenge for ECU in many regards, and they can still use the portal. So how much do you feel like that hamstrings them at times, and you know, how, how do they overcome that going forward? Well, I think if any – I mean, look, the, the great – here here's – there's good things and there's bad things about the American Athletic Conference. The good thing is we have great players. We have great coaches. We have great teams in this league. The problem is the Power Five teams also see that and go, hmm, okay, we've seen this guy develop now as a freshman or a sophomore, you know, one of these American Athletic Conference programs, and they start looking around. And if you see a highly productive player in the American, it's no shock to me now when those players leave to go to a Power 5 team. Looking for, you know, I, w- I wouldn't even call it greener grass. They go looking for longer grass, you know, more plush grass. And, you know, if there's an NIL collective that they might even be able to get in a- on a part of, you know, great. I mean, I think the biggest misnomer about the transfer portal, and 
you guys know about it because of, and it's funny, we've been having a lot of discussions up here lately about the baseball and softball transfer portals. And you know that because of your amazing baseball program down there. There's 2,200 dudes in the, in the baseball portal right now. I mean, 2,200 guys are not being exchanged amongst Division One programs. Somebody, somebody needs to be comfortable with going to Barton or Wingate or North Carolina Wesleyan or Greensboro College or something like that uh, because a lot of these kids that jump into portals, especially in baseball and softball, you know, you're not landing at another Division One school for the most part. And, and that's where the absurd numbers in the portal in every sport, you know, we got people that get in a portal and don't realize the gift that they have of a scholarship at one school thinking they're going to go find another one at another school. And then, you know, come September when school starts and they're like, oh, there's, there isn't a Power 5 scholarship for me or there isn't another Division One scholarship for me. You know, we're all getting banged by. We're not, I mean, we're never surprised. We're never surprised when a guy, you know, leaves Navy only from this standpoint. You really have to buy in, you know, to the entire package because the payoff, the NIL at Navy is after you graduate because you've got a career field that uh, automatically gets you started at a really good salary. And even after you, you know, give your five years to the United States Navy Marine Corps, you know, there's your resume goes to the top of any list when you apply for a job somewhere because it says United States Naval Academy on top of it. So that's where your NIL comes, you know, if you're at a place like Navy. Because, I mean, look at how many people, and we all know people like this, that graduate college and go, okay, well, I have this degree. I have this master's degree. What the hell do I do now? And a lot of people don't end up working jobs in the field that they have this degree and this master's for. And they're working jobs that, that don't pay a whole lot. And if you're at the Naval Academy and you graduate, you're working at a place that's got a pretty good salary. And more importantly, it's going to open a lot of doors for you as you continue on uh, through life. So, yeah, I mean, we know we're going to lose guys. I mean, it's just by the nature of the beast. Um, but I think everybody in our league, as you all know, everybody in our league is affected by it now because the Power Five teams are just waiting to coach a lot of the great players that end up in our league, and we've seen that now for several years. A lot of great thoughts there from Pete Medhurst, who is the Navy play-by-play announcer. And Pete, ECU traveling to Annapolis this November, November 18th, the date of the game. It'll be the senior day festivities for Navy, the the home finale for the midshipmen. And, I, you know, as a beat writer who covers ECU, there, there's nothing more that I enjoy than, than honestly going to Annapolis and covering games there. And really, ECU's only success in the series in terms of wins have come in Annapolis. Both of them were last-second field goals uh, to, to beat Navy on the road. Uh, for whatever reason, Navy has just had ECU's number two and eight all-time. The Pirates are against Navy. They beat them in Greenville last year. The midshipmen did. Can you put your finger on why Navy has just kind of had ECU's number? I, I know, really, I, I've never been able to. Uh, what about from your vantage point? You know, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you look at the absurd numbers we put up in a couple of games down there, 76, 66. In those days, we had – amazing people we had great quarterbacks we had great running backs wide receivers who could go catch the football at a pretty high level we had really the best package of players maybe that navy's ever seen uh in those couple of you know massive routes uh down in greenville where we just seemed like we were scoring like we were playing you know ncaa football 09 or something like that um but you know sometimes 
sometimes that stuff is more mental than it is physical. And I think last year, I think last year we just played maybe harder over 70 or 80 plays during the course of the game. Did we catch a little luck? Sure. You know, I mean, think about this. If Owen Daffer, you know, is doing the same thing the year before, you know, that he was doing last year, you know, we probably win that game in Annapolis. But that would have been good from 70. That's how good he hit that ball uh, to win that game, which is why I was very frustrated for him as someone who roots for you all when we're not playing you, that, you know, I was I was very disappointed to see him go through that last year because you know the young man can kick the ball. He's made some pressure kicks there. But as is, you know, the case with that position, and you you get three or four opportunities a game to affect the game, and if you miss on a couple – as you saw last year, that was the difference between having a, a good season but a potentially great season for East Carolina. But that's just the nature of that position. It's the nature of the position, you know, at quarterback because it's such a unique position. You've got to, you know, one or two bad throws by the quarterback. He'd go 26 for 29. He'd throw for 400 yards. He'd go for three touchdowns. But if he, if he has a situation where – you know, he throws two interceptions, they turn out to be pick sixes. You know, his great performance is kind of forgotten about because two of the interceptions become, you know, pick sixes, and that goes against you during the course of a game. So, you know, I just think some goofy things have happened. We've had some great players and great teams in that time. Uh, so, you know, at some point, I mean, you know how good Mike has been down there already, and the talent level is only going to get better. Uh, obviously, you got to replace a, a tremendous, you know, guy that has showed a lot of loyalty to East Carolina and Holt Nailers. Um, you know, I've been telling everybody that, you know, can walk up here because I do a lot of Ravens programming now about Keaton Mitchell and how good he's going to be uh, for, for that team up here and how he's going to make the club and I think make an impact up here. So, you know, I mean, East Carolina is going to find players. They, they have since Mike took over there. We knew that was going to be the case. So I, I would expect another tremendous football game coming up uh, in Annapolis this year and Always looking forward to seeing the purple and gold folks over in that far right corner uh, of the far side uh, of the football stadium. Last thing for you, Pete, we'll get you out of here. The quarterback situation in Navy is interesting going into the, this year because, of course, Ty Lavatai is back, uh, Xavier Arline also back as two seniors, but I know they got some young guys they like in the program. How do you handicap that situation just from the standpoint of we know how important that position is to Navy's success. Do you feel like there's a favorite there? Is it kind of an, uh, an open competition going into the fall? I think right now, and and obviously this is dependent on, you know, Ty being fully healthy going into this part of camp, but I think you got an open competition between four guys. I, I think it's legitimately four guys starting at the, the beginning of camp, uh, the incumbents, Levitai and Arline, and uh, the Young Bucks, uh, you know, in, in Gleaton and Horvath, I, I think, but I think all four guys do the kind of things you, you need to be successful in this offense. And I think for the first time in a long time, because it's been a long time, normally, normally in this progression with Ivan Jasper as the tremendous quarterbacks coach, we've known and had that person waiting in the wings. But I think, I think with this particular group now, he's gotten four guys that are all ready to potentially play. And it's going to be a matter of which guy goes into camp confident, first of all, but B, 
takes command of, of that offense. You know, doesn't, doesn't wilt in competition because competition is what every coach strives for. You want to have competition where there's three or four guys legitimately competing for the number one spot. And I think that's the great thing that this team has going into uh, this particular training camp is four legitimate guys ready to compete for that spot. And I don't think there is anything close to being decided uh, amongst those four guys. And, and obviously for Ty, it's going to depend on his health and where uh, his knee is in terms of uh, his recovery as to how much he's able to compete uh, right away at the start of training camp. But you've got four men that are ready to compete for that spot, maybe even a fifth. Uh, when you look at the depth chart, and that's what every coach strives for, and it's one of those cases where uh, they basically tell them at the start of camp, good luck, gentlemen, and may the best man win. He is Pete Medhurst, Navy play-by-play announcer for the Navy Radio Network. Pete, we appreciate the time and looking forward to getting back up to Annapolis in November. I'm sure we'll be hitting you up again between now and then, but thanks so much. Looking forward to the matchup later this fall. You got it. Glad to do it anytime. That's Pete Medhurst previewing the Navy midshipmen. All right, on the other side, we will take a look at the Rice Owls. We've got Matthew Bartlett from the Roost, who's going to join us as we continue through our ECU football opponent previews. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. The Pirates play here. This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into this Friday, June 16th edition of Hoist the Colors. We just previewed the Navy midshipman who's on ECU schedule this fall. Now we're going to talk about the Rice Owls, and to do that, we're going to visit with Matthew Bartlett. He is the editor of The Roost, a website covering the Rice Owls. Matthew, let's start with where the the program is as they enter the American Athletic Conference. We'll just start with Rice Athletics as a whole. How excited is, is the Owls fan base to, you know, make this move and start this journey into the American this fall? Well, I think obviously it's it's huge in the world of realignment. Everyone wants to be the school moving up, not the school left behind. So the fact that Rice gets to move up, go back to the AAC or rather to the AAC for the first time, but with a lot of teams from Conference USA that they played 15 years ago, it's huge. Everybody's excited. And, you know, the football program under Mike Bloomgren has been up and down the the last handful of years. They did go to a bowl game last year with five wins, but they have made progress. You look at the wins and and losses. It's been kind of a a slow climb for for, uh, Coach Bloomgren. How would you kind of assess the job he's done and kind of the outlook going forward into the 2023 season. Yeah, it's been really interesting with Bloomgren at Rice so far. He came in after the 2017 season where they won one game. And like you said, it's been a slow build. They won two, three, four, five, and went to a bowl game last year for the first time since 2014. So there's been progress. It's going up. And if you look at the recruiting front, Mike Bloomgren has signed the highest-rated class in program history four times in his five years. He's beat himself on three separate occasions. So all of the things that you would like to see are there, the continual growth, the recruiting, the talent. Uh, the only thing missing is the wins in, in bulk. And so I think it's, it's an interesting position as Rice goes to the AAC because obviously everybody coming in wants to make their stamp on the league in year one. 
this is going to be a really pivotal year for him to show that not only can he build, but, but sustain and win. Yeah, just looking at their, their schedule, Matthew, you know, tough opener at Texas, then they play Houston, of course, which is just leaving the American to the Big 12. They do have winnable games versus Texas Southern and an improving UConn team. Uh, but you get into league play, you know, they, they host ECU, they host Tulane, got to go to UTSA, play SMU. You know, some of their more easy conference games are on the road. So seems like it's going to be a challenging year on paper. What are fair expectations for this Rice team from a win total perspective? Uh, I think that's the million-dollar question. I think fair expectations and given the schedule and just expectations in general might not be on the same page at the moment. I think after seeing, you know, a, a trickle of a little wins here and there, I think fan base, the fan base is probably expecting somewhere in the, you know, eight-ish total that not only do they want to see growth, they want to see real contention, and that means being in the mix in late October, November, uh, I think fair expectations, I think there's probably somewhere in that six to eight range. I think it's interesting if you just look at Rice's opponents, uh, there is, you know, the big teams. There's there's Texas, and it, that's going to be a really tough at, out. But you kind of look through the list of just by the odds of the teams that are projected um, to be in that 500 mix. And, you know, eight of the 12 teams they play have odds of, you know, six wins or fewer. And that doesn't mean that Rice is going to win all those games, but it means all of them are winnable. So if Rice can finish and be on the better half of that coin flip game, I don't think it's unreasonable that we do see that growth. Just covering recruiting as we visit with Matthew Bartlett from the Roost. I just heard that Rice has gotten involved in, a, in the NIL game and done so at a pretty uh, high level for the American Athletic Conference in how much do you think that has impacted both the transfer portal pickups they've been able to get? You know, they're bringing in JT Daniels, uh, former highly recruited quarterback, of course, who is, I think is on his fourth stop now. But have you seen that covering the program, just the, the fan base get behind the NIL, which is a pivotal part of, of building a roster right now in college athletics? I know it's a big, big thing in the world of college sports right now, but at Rice, NIL – I think it's only going to get you so far, and it really hasn't been the focal point of their efforts to date. It's a small program. They do have, uh, you know, a, a donor base that is relatively wealthy, so I guess that counts for something. But at, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day, Rice is not a program that's going to be outspending people for NIL. And I think the important thing for them is what they're selling and continue to sell is the quality of education and degrees. And that's when it, it gets interesting with the transfer portal because you can go and recruit a grad guy and say, hey, you can get half your master's paid for at Rice. And whatever you choose to do after that, you're set up really well. So uh, I don't know if NIL is, is, is that huge at Rice at the moment, but you know it's certainly going to be around everywhere we talk about for the foreseeable future. JT Daniels. Yeah, USC, Georgia, West Virginia, now Rice. Do, do you assume he kind of has the inside track to the starting job, or does he have to go out and earn it? And if so, who is he competing against? Uh, he is the starter from day one. Uh, he came into spring practices, and Bloomgren said he's the guy, which this will be the first time in five off-seasons under Bloomgren that there hasn't been any sort of quarterback competition. So, yeah, he's, he's taken the lead, and he ru his run with it. He looked as good as he can look. 
in spring ball. And, you know, you look back at his track record, a lot of the places that he's left, uh, he's fallen out of favor with, with injuries. It's, you know, you kind of see guys transfer and they don't win the job and they go down a level. Daniels really hasn't been a guy who hasn't been good enough to stick at those places. He just hasn't been healthy enough. So watching him on the practice field this spring, uh, he's a really, really talented quarterback. And that is kind of what has most fans most uh, excited for Rice this season. When you look at the rest of the roster, what are the strengths, what are the presumed potential weaknesses of this team right now? Well, I think one of the biggest strengths, oddly enough, for a team that, you know, preaches running the ball, it's got to be the pass catchers. Uh, Bradley Rosner has been a multi-time all-conference selection in the USA. Luke McCaffrey played the receiver position for the first time in his career last year after searching from switching from quarterback and is going to be one of the most dynamic athletes on the field. Uh, they just have so many weapons there. I could continue to go down the list. Uh, so you pair those with JT Daniels, and all of a sudden you have a passing attack that could look pretty scary. I think the the weakness if, uh, to that might prevent that coming to fruition is the offensive line. They had a lot of guys miss time during the spring uh, in and out for various things, and they didn't really establish a – Sure, fire starting five, you know, and that'll be something they have to figure out. Call camp. They have both tackles coming back, which is always a plus, but the interior is, is really uncertain. So I think that's it for the offense. On, on defense, I think the, the pass rush in the front seven uh, is going to be pretty good, especially considering you lost a couple guys to the league um, and elsewhere in the offseason. But the question I'm going to have is the back end of the safety position. They graduated a bunch of guys, and so it'll be some. Some new names, some young guys. Gabe Taylor is going to be back there, a potential all-conference guy, but uh, a lot of questions outside of him. Matthew Bartlett is with us as we look at the Rice House. ECU will be in Houston to take on Rice on September 30th. It'll be ECU's conference opener. It'll be Rice's second conference game after a trip to South Florida. While we got you here, Matthew, I want to ask you about the baseball program just because Covering ECU, of course, we know that Rice, back in the day under Wayne Graham, was just an absolute powerhouse. They consistently won Conference USA, and then there's just been a steep drop-off ever since, you know, towards the end of his tenure and the, the coaches after him. You know, do, do you feel like Rice is close to turning the corner at all to get back to kind of what they were in baseball? And, and what is kind of the outlook of that program right now with where it's been the last handful of years? I think it's been an interesting <laughs> – an interesting journey. After Graham left, they went and brought in Matt Braga, who did some good things, but wasn't deemed a, a cultural fit at, at Rice. It's a different place, how you got to recruit, how you got to talk to people. Uh, it's, it's a bit unique than, you know, a, a public school. So he, the program moved on from him and hired uh, Jose Cruz Jr., former Rice great, who played on uh, several of the teams back in the day that had a lot of success and he's done a lot of good things i think the recruiting and the ties that he has in the city of houston have already started to pay some big dividends you got a uh, parker smith from in town who's going to be i mean he was top 25 in the country in era and several statistics last year he's their friday night guy that always helps and then they've renovated the field. They've done a bunch of stuff off-site with fundraising. They're doing all the right things. I think the interesting question is, that's going to be for him, now you're three coming into the AAC, is going to be can he hit 
on those right guys out of the transfer portal and can he develop the talent he gets in. So I think they're in a good place. They got a guy who understands Bryce, understands what it takes, and now it's just finding finding those wins. He is Matthew Bartlett, the editor of The Roost. Check it out at theroost.com. As we get closer to kickoff later this year, I'm sure we'll be reaching out to you again, Matthew, to preview this matchup as we learn more about both teams. But appreciate the time on today's program. Looking forward to welcoming in the Rice Owls back into the league. Absolutely. Thank y'all for having me. That's Matthew Bartlett from The Roost covering the Rice Owls. All right, we'll wrap up the show. On the other side, you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon! Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back to the program Friday, June 16th, our last show before summer break. Philip Pilkington back with, with us in the 94.3 The Game studios. We just previewed Navy. We previewed the Rice Owls. Philip, if there's one thing I've learned from previewing 10 opponents in about a two-week span, it's that Everyone in mid-June thinks they're going to be pretty good. Um, I guess we'll see what the season holds, but this is the best part of the offseason. Everybody has optimism, including East Carolina, which has a lot of unknowns, but I think everybody's just counting down the days and thinking about why they're going to be good this year. Well, everybody's optimistic because everyone is still undefeated until you've had your heart ripped out by the 2023 version of your team. You have no reason to doubt the 2023 version of your team. And I'm sure if we were guests on one of their programs, we would be saying the same thing. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited for it. And uh, fall really is the best time of year. It just feels like with all the unknowns at East Carolina on the roster and with all the new teams in the league, it truly is the biggest mystery season. I've seen Vegas have ECU's win total at five and a half. I would take the over on that today, uh, and I would feel pretty good about it. But you just don't know what some of these teams like Rice, even like Navy, we just don't know what they're going to be be all about come the fall. So uh, really intriguing here. It is. And you wonder, is this kind of the new norm? Obviously, like you said, it's a little different because you got so many new teams coming in. But with the transfer portal, it could become more normal than it used to be. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, one of the big question marks is not only the teams coming in, but when you've had the same starting quarterback as long as we've had, it's it's a little weird having a new starter. All right, Philip, we're about wrapping up here, so just want to say thanks to you, uh, thanks to Clark Willis, also Dom behind the scenes. It has been a lot of fun over this last month and a half, really this first month and a half of our long journey. Going to be bringing you Hoist the Colors Radio 94.3 The Game for a long time. And I uh, really appreciate everybody involved with the program, the Hintons, everybody at Interbanks Media making this a reality. We'll be back in August to preview the upcoming football season. Until then, find us on hoistcolors.net, 943thegame.com, as well as our uh, social media pages, too. We'll talk to you in August. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back Monday with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.